Hello, friends. It has been a good long while, hasn't it? <laughs> Since we've met up in a stillness. Uh, this is in part because my life has not felt overly still. I have felt um, not even necessarily badly, but just busy, committed, determined, maybe even a bit ambitious, and, you know, occasionally overwhelmed, as those all tend to overlap at some point or another. I have been redefining community, what it means to me to show up in community, what I expect of myself and others inside of that. I have been reevaluating my art style, my relationship to how I create and what I create. And I share this not as excuses for the long lapse in um, another episode, but more so just to share that my creative process is very watery. There's, there's a lot of ebb and then there's a lot of flow <laughs> and then there's a lot of ebb again. My creative practice feels very emotional. It feels very cyclical and, 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 <laughs> and. There is a fair amount of self-sabotage all tied up in there. Sometimes for me, there is a very, very thin line between being gracious and compassionate with the fact that I don't always feel like creating and I don't always feel like putting my voice out there and I don't always feel like I have something valuable to say and the internal narratives and ideas that I don't have anything worth saying. That when I open my mouth, all I'm doing is adding to the noise. But here's the truth of the matter. (laughs) There will always be noise. There will always be people who are doing something similar to me who are doing it better. There will always be people doing something similar to me and doing it not as flashily or showily. There will be people who have their followings and there will be people who lose their followings. There will be people who make and create incredible work, whether it be a podcast or a poem or a painting. And there will be people ready to consume it. And there will be people who always reject it. And therefore, at least somewhat along that line of reasoning, I have talked myself back into recording an episode, maybe even several. We'll see what the day holds. The day is full of possibility. But for this one in specific, I wanted to share just the very tangible tools that I have been using to get myself out of bed in the morning. Depression and anxiety are are kind of these funny things in that it's, one, not uncommon to experience them. In fact, I would even argue that all humans at some point in their life 
experience a bit of anxiety and or depression. Like no one gets through the human experience unscathed by grief, by worries, by fears. Like that is in fact part of what it means to have a human experience. And especially if you are a person with a very open heart who loves a great many things very deeply, you will just have those ebbs and flows. You will have seasons that feel defined by all that is good and beautiful and right with the world and seasons and moments that feel defined by all that is wrong and heavy and burdensome about the world. And so in this way, depression and anxiety or whatever whatever other names you may know them by are really quite annoyingly, fantastically normal. And because of this, I hope that a couple of the things that I share today resonate with you no matter what level of sadness you may be experiencing currently or no matter what level of panic you may experience in the future. My nervous system, like when in doubt... My nervous system always goes back to let's panic about it just in case. This is, I've been told by multiple therapists, called generalized anxiety disorder, which essentially just means that when I'm at a loss or I feel stuck or stagnant in life, the thing that my body and my nervous system and even my brain wants to do is spiral. Like if we can overthink about it, then we can figure it out and move through it. And that's not entirely wrong. Like sometimes we can intellectualize things that feel really big and complicated and that can help us kind of break it down into more manageable doses of panic and anxiety. But also it becomes a very, very hard place to live. It becomes a very challenging place to function in. And so here are the things that I do when I feel myself creeping into the desire to live in the liminal space. And I'll explain what I mean by that. When I first wake up in the morning and my body still feels almost like fuzzy or tingly underneath my blanket and I feel warm I can feel that there's a bit of rosiness on my cheeks. I can tell that if I open my eyes, I'll just begin to see the morning sun peeping in through my window. That's a liminal space. And sometimes I find myself craving it or trying to live in it for way, way longer than I actually can live and function within it. In this example, like when I'm getting out of bed in the morning, or failing, rather, to get out of bed in the morning, like I might be thirsty, I might have to use the bathroom (laughs) really badly, and yet I convince myself that if I could just stay and hover in this in-between of complete sleep and complete upright functioningness, that it would just be the most beautiful thing. And so I convince myself some days 
to just hover in that liminal space. Some days I convince myself to get out of bed. Some days I convince myself to get out of bed, to use the bathroom and to get a cup of water, but then to come right back to bed, to come back, to try to recreate that fuzzy liminal space. And this is my body, my spirit even. They're cues that something is a little bit off right now. That something is a little out of whack and unaligned. As you consider perhaps where you have experienced depression or anxiety or those moments of life that just feel like if you could hover in the not quite reality, everything would be better. I invite you to consider what your cues are. For some people, it's going to be a bodily cue, a sinking into the pit of their stomach, a heat that flares up on the bottoms of their feet. For me, it's a talking myself into not quite awake and yet not quite falling back asleep. It's a talking myself into this fuzzy, floaty in-between. And when I've done that for a couple days in a row, I usually know either that something is off or I know even what's off in life. But that's my, that's my cue. That's my sign that I need a little more self-care, that actually more often I have a need that's not getting met and it's making me feel really overwhelmed by reality. It's making me very, very tempted to sleep through reality. And I can begin to unpack with a lot of curiosity and again, a lot of compassion and graciousness what's going on. So if you don't know that for yourself, that can be a really empowering place to start. What are the two or three things that you do that are always leading up to a depressisode, as I lovingly call them, or leading up to a, you know, bout with depression that are leading up to a panic attack that are leading up to anything else mental health related that you feel like is impairing your ability to be your most vibrant and authentic self. For me, it's the heaviness trying to get out of bed. And again, after doing that for a couple days, I can realize like, oh, there's a pattern here. Like it wasn't just like, oh, I was really sleepy one morning. Like this is an ongoing thing, which means that there's something ongoing in my life that is pushing me to this point and I probably need to address some things. Then on my way to addressing or exploring different ways that I can maybe make my life feel a little less out of whack, there are some Huge key things that I personally rely on that I'd love to share with you. First and foremost is staying hydrated. I know, I know. I sound like your mom right now. Did you drink water? But really, staying hydrated is so important for a healthy human flourishing. And a lot of us are not in the habit of doing it. 
So whether you have a favorite water bottle, if you don't love water, is there some fruit you can put in your water or some sparkling water that you can get delivered or pick up? Is there something that would help you get into the habit of drinking lots of liquids? If so, that's a great first step. One, because it is self-care. It's like super, super basic self-care. And once a little bit in the habit of doing it, it doesn't feel like a burden necessarily. It doesn't feel like, oh, now I have to go drink my water. Find pockets in your day that feel a little dried out and rigid and maybe soften them a bit with some water. For me personally, this is as soon as I get out of bed. Like as soon as I have made it out of that liminal space, no matter how hard it was or easy it was for me to get out of that liminal space, the first thing I do is drink some water. It doesn't have to be a whole cup. It does not need to look like a wellness influencer bottle filled with fruits and powders and whatever else they're putting in them these days. It can just be like a couple sips of some water. I personally take like two, three sips of water. It's not a ton. And then I start the kettle for my tea. And then it's like my tongue, my mouth is just primed enough that when my tea is ready and brewed, I am ready to like sit down and drink a whole mug of tea. And that has become such a luscious ritual for me every morning. And honestly, it's like starting it. It's like an aperitif. Starting with that little bit of water just to like, oh, yes, okay. We're upright. We're functioning. Look at us. We're drinking water. On that note, staying hydrated throughout the day. Maybe for you, it's not a morning routine that is going to behave like your saving grace. Maybe it's drinking a little bit of water before bed. Maybe it's making sure that you have a glass of water with all of your meals or snacks, just having it handy and nearby. Maybe it is more an internal practice of noticing your own thirst cues, noticing when you're hungry, noticing when you're thirsty. Um, And you can also get clever with this. Like if you don't tend to feel really thirsty, maybe lean on some saltier snacks for a little while, some salted nuts. I'm a huge fan of potato chips. Come at me. Uh, You know, something that is maybe going to help you feel a little more thirsty in the moment or after eating those things. Just some ideas. Stay hydrated. Part of me staying hydrated is also avoiding alcohol with which I have a very long-winded history with, which if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know. But especially, again, when I find myself trying to hover and cling to the liminal spaces, making sure that I am drinking waters, or excuse me, liquids that like water, make me feel hydrated and lubricated, make my skin feel great, make me feel refreshed, which in many, many ways is the opposite experience of alcohols. Even though I love a good wine, I love a fun cocktail, those often are not actually thirst quenching in the same way that waters or juices or teas are. And 
they do not make me feel refreshed afterwards. They make me feel a little slower afterwards. So when my bodily tendency is already towards being a little slow and heavy and lethargic, I personally want to make sure that I'm avoiding things that magnify that or that multiply that kind of effect in my body and being. Another element of this for me is avoiding caffeine. I do this anyway the vast majority of the time. There are only very specific circumstances where I'll have caffeine, such as if I'm leaving for a trip at a really, really early time in the morning, I might have a little bit of caffeinated tea on my way to the airport, for example. But outside of those kind of extreme or one-off circumstances, I don't drink much caffeine. And I have personally found that that helps so much with my anxiety. But then especially on the days where everything just feels a little bit too much, Again, it's like I'm getting out of bed with this already heightened sense of being exhausted by the world. In those moments, avoiding caffeine becomes even more critical for me. Again, this is a personal example, but you might notice some similar things in your own body. Are there things that bring you lower that again, add to that heaviness, that lethargic feeling that maybe your mental health is already kind of providing for you, those things may be better avoided for a time. And likewise, if you're ever feeling anxious or overwhelmed, avoiding things like caffeine or just social media, I mean, anything that kind of tends to multiply those effects, that can be a really empowering practice. Another practice that, again, I do very regularly and habitually, but one of the reasons that I do it very regularly and habitually is because I find it so grounding and regulating, is journaling. I know it is not for everybody. Not everybody likes to write. I'm also an author. Writing feels very natural and calming for me. But I invite you to find something like that. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's meditating. Maybe it's going on a walk. Maybe it's going on a run. If it's going on a run, I mean, kudos. I have tried that and I am definitely a not going to go on a morning run, going to sit in a chair and journal kind of person. But for everybody and being, there is a thing that we can do often at the beginning and or end of our day that is like this touchstone for our spirit that like gives our soul that precious, wonderful, desperately needed little moment to be fully present. To kind of say, yeah, I'm here and I'm listening and I'm paying attention and I'm processing and I'm breathing and I'm being and oh, how profound it is to be. So I invite you to consider, again, with some curiosity, what do you find grounding or regulating? And if you feel at a loss or you know that you're not a journaling person and neither are you a go on a walk or run in the morning kind of person, it can be very helpful to consider what you did as a child to regulate, especially a very, very young child. 
again, as a personal example, as soon as I learned to read and write, that is what I did. Like that was the safe place for me to process and to imagine. Reading has often felt like a kind of meditation for me. That is my happy spot and it truly has been since I was like five. (laughs) So consider for yourself, what was the thing that you just always gravitated towards? Maybe it was being in nature. Maybe it was swinging on a swing. Maybe it was petting a beloved pet. And are there ways that you can incorporate that kind of thing into your day? Like, again, just once a day. Maybe this doesn't even mean that you like own a pet or you take on pet ownership. But your neighbor who has a cat, do they ever want the cat brushed? Could you volunteer to brush your neighbor's cat? Could you find a swing set near your home where you could swing on the swings before the school kids get there and just give yourself that like little indulgent moment just for you? It might take some creativity, but I do truly, truly think it is worth seeking it out. Also because these little things can be a joy point, a glimmer, a cherry on top in what otherwise can feel like a very soul-sucking day. Often when we're experiencing an ongoing kind of mental health struggle, the simplest of things can just become so luxurious. And sometimes I wonder if I experience a bit of a depressisode, not because something in my life is horribly wrong or terribly unaligned, but just because I'm needing that perspective reset. And it's like my spirit or my soul or my being knows that my perspective needs to be pulled back down into the glorious reality that is the reality of my human existence. For me personally, the little highlight of my day is jumping on my trampoline. Because yes, I am almost 30 years old and have no children and bought myself a huge arse trampoline for my side yard that is literally just for me. My husband doesn't even enjoy it. It's not for like neighborhood kids. It is for Abby. (laughs) And I love it. It is playful and fun and freeing. And it doesn't take that long for me to like work up a sweat or feel like I've moved through a lot in my body. And it is so delightful to me. What for you is so delightful And maybe so delightful and could be inserted into your day, every day, like a little touchstone, a little focal point for you. Me telling myself that I'm going to get the things done that I really need to get done so that things do not spiral further, things like 
doing my couple dirty dishes before I make a couple more dirty dishes, at which point I will be so overwhelmed by the amount of dirty dishes that none of it will happen. Um, or like the one load of laundry. I did one load of laundry last night. Believe me, there's plenty more that I could have done, but I just did one, like the most full, most pressing load. I just did that one. And then I took a restorative yoga class. (laughs) Today, I finished my school assignment that I needed to get done. It was like the one thing I really have to get done. Uh, My grades cannot afford for me to submit this assignment late. So I got it done. And now, as soon as I am done recording this episode, I'm going to go dump on my trampoline. What is a little reward, a little motivation, again, a little like light at the end of your tunnel that you can give yourself? It can be so simple. Again, mine tend to be kind of like playful and harken back to me in my younger years. But again, maybe for you, it's a restorative yoga class. Maybe it's doing nothing. Oh, the bliss of doing nothing. Maybe after you do the thing that you absolutely have to do, maybe it would just feel amazing to just lay down. Take your legs up a wall. Maybe. Maybe it would feel amazing to take yourself out on a solo date. This is another one of the things that I do especially when I feel like I don't have something to look forward to. For example, I have a trampoline in my side yard. I can go jump on that as a reward or just because at any point. And yet there are still the days, especially if I've been doing this for several days, where it just doesn't quite feel as rewarding as I'd like. Where maybe it actually begins to feel like a chore, like something I feel like I have to do so that I don't implode from trying to carry the weight of the world (laughs) or whatever else I may be feeling. Often it's me trying to carry the weight of the world. Um, But you know, I'm like studying sustainability. How can you, I don't get how anyone that is a young person studying sustainability is not going to get a little existential every other week. So this is all to say, if you ever need something like that little bit more, like, yes, this is a cherry on top, but today I need a whole bowl of cherries. Take yourself on a solo date, like all the way solo date. I'm going to emphasize that one more time. It is a date. Maybe dress up. This is one of my favorite little weird brain hacks to get myself to shower and shave my legs and like put on a little bit of makeup, fully brush my hair, brush my teeth. And then I'm going to go on my ideal solo date. I'm someone who's married and I happily go on dates with my spouse, not infrequently, but a solo date is different. Because when I go on a date with my spouse, we do things that both of us like to do. We go to the kinds of places to eat that both of us like to eat, which is lovely. But a solo date, I can go to the kind of restaurant that my spouse doesn't like. I get to choose where I'm going to go and how much time I'm going to spend there. Oftentimes, it looks like going to the library, lingering, 
in the library, going to get some frozen yogurt, going to go find a park bench where I can people watch. Sometimes it looks like going to uh, water, whether it's like a lake or a pond in a park, or I live in a city that's along a river. Maybe it's going down to um, an area of the river and just putting my toes in, just my toes for a little bit. My spouse would do this with me if I like asked him, but this is not the kind of thing that feels intuitive to him. A solo date is one that is fully intuitive to you. You are romancing yourself because even if you feel like you are pretending at it, you are so in love with yourself, infatuated. You are just the cutest, most amazing, most brilliant, most funny, most a wonderful person to spend time with. That's what a solo date is. Go to the places that you love. And again, it doesn't have to be expensive. I think sometimes we think of like, oh, this big romantic solo date. And so then it has to be like bougie. And maybe sometimes it is. That can be fun. But it also doesn't have to be. Going to the library and getting frozen yogurt and then finding a bench to sit and people watch is like very, very cheap. Um, but the important thing is that it's solo. You get to spend some time with yourself. Maybe you're around other people. Maybe you interact with other people. But you are not there to pick up other people. I think this is exceptionally challenging for single people who are taking themselves on a solo date. There's kind of always this pressure to like make the most of an opportunity where you're meeting another person who's presumably single. And that's just, that's a cultural conditioning thing. But on a solo date, there's none of that. No flirting with others, or maybe there is flirting with others, but you well know that you're already taken tonight. And then if you want to, go, you know, the extra mile. You get home, maybe slowly undress yourself. Maybe there's a little self-pleasuring involved. Maybe you're going to leave a little lipstick smear on your mirror. Whatever feels authentic to you, but it can be such a powerful practice of self-love and kind of, again, because our brains are a little bit funny this way, kind of biohacks a bit of a depressive anxiety spiral. Because, again, even if it feels like you're just pretending, if it feels even, quote-unquote, inauthentic, there is a deep, deep part of you that knows, like deeply knows, again, maybe not even intellectually, but like in your bones, in your belly, in your breath, knows that you are so lovable and so, so worth spending time with and worth spending the effort to really get to know. And that's what a solo date does, is it magnifies and highlights the part of us that, I I mean, I would argue the part of us that is divine, that part of us that intrinsically knows that we're so loving and so worthy of love. But when it gets a little stuffed down or shut down by mental health issues, finding a way to bring those front and center and forward 
is so lovely. Solo dates have, without being too extreme, changed my life. Because when I'm on them, I'm not on them for anyone else. I'm not looking cute for anyone else. I literally don't care what anyone thinks of me. When I'm on a solo date, I'm just honoring myself. What I like, how I enjoy to spend my time, how I like to interact or not interact with other people. And that's a really, really exceptional reframe for a body and mind that feels stuck in something that is depressive or anxious. I know I've rambled a bit. In my defense, I have been gone for a little while. But I do hope that in sharing this, you learn or find or see some elements of your own life that could become slightly more joy-inducing or just a little bit more empowering. It doesn't have to be a lot. These are things that I've adopted. These are strategies that I've found over years of suffering from depression and anxiety. I mean, I had my first panic attack when I was four. It's not like I knew at that point what was going on or how to help myself regulate. But as an adult, realizing that sometimes all my body wants is to swing on a swing or jump on a trampoline or that maybe, maybe what feels out of whack in my life is just that I feel disconnected from life and that going on a solo date for an afternoon could reconnect me to all of my favorite things in life. I mean, it's, it's been a bit profound to really adopt that kind of viewpoint. And I also want to say, which I hinted at a little bit earlier, talking about being a sustainability student, but also if you feel like you're just sometimes caught in these cycles of depression and anxiety, one, you are not alone, both statistically, but also just collectively. We are living, um, if you're in the U.S., in late-stage capitalism. We are living with some of the worst wealth inequality in human history. It's something like four times the wealth inequality um, that ended up sparking the French Revolution. We're living in a time where it doesn't feel like there's enough, where our planet is literally on fire, where if you were born after the year 1973, you've never experienced a normal seasonal cycle on this earth. Everything has been a little out of whack. We are living in a time of reckoning. There's been so much brought to the surface environmentally, racially, socially, financially, educationally, whatever way you want to slice that pie, it's gnarly in there. And so I just want you to know that it's okay. Maybe you're not having some wild experience that should be shamed the way that we often have with mental health crises. Maybe you're actually having a totally reasonable, normal human reaction to waking up to the world around you. And, and maybe, it's still worth finding those pockets of joy, those touchstones that are grounding, even, even in the midst of it all. 
This podcast is made entirely possible by Patreon Sacred supporters. If you also consider this work sacred and would like to support the efforts of not only this podcast, but all the other artistic projects that I, Abigail Jewell, have going on, please go to patreon.com slash A-B-I-G-A-I-L-J-E-W-E-L-L, Abigail Jewell. And you can also find the Patreon page by searching for A Stillness. Thanks.